A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am glad you joined the program today. We are going to talk constitutional carry. You know, we are getting close towards the end of the year. It is time when you start to see the sort of, you know, look back on 2021 and here's what happened. So we're going to do that with one particular issue today. The issue of constitutional carry. And not only are we going to be looking back, but we're also going to be looking ahead as well. And uh, my guest to talk about this, Stephen Gutowski, the founder of The Reload. Uh, Also, by the way, the uh, 2021 Journalist of the Year, as named by the Second Amendment Foundation at the Gun Rights Policy Conference. So you have the uh, Second Amendment Foundation's Journalist of the Year and their Blogger of the Year uh, talking about constitutional carry together. Take a look and a listen. Mr. Gutowski, glad you could join us on the program, sir. It's good seeing you again. Hey, thanks for having me. I always enjoy coming on. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the beard is a little thicker and longer since the last time we spoke. Yes, I know the hair up you. here. I'm jealous of that. But uh, <laughs> I need to cut this. It's all all over the place. But I'm going back for that pandemic look of just <laughs> when you couldn't get a haircut, you know, that right? you start to look like uh like a, a man living out in the forest. That's a good look. You know? <laughs> I endorse it, buddy. I endorse it. So listen, we're going to talk about uh, constitutional carry. We've got, I mean, 2021, when we look back on, you know, this year in gun rights, I think this is going to be the year of constitutional carry. We saw almost, what, half a dozen states adopt constitutional carry language just in the last 12 months. Yeah, five states, including Texas, which is the biggest one yet to adopt it. Right. But there are still more to go. I mean, we've got, look, 42 states that are shall issue right to carry right now. So not all of them are, are uh, I think, going to be early adopters of constitutional carry. But look, we've seen um, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. There was a video that uh, has come out showing him being asked, uh, I think it was by a, a GOA representative, um, you know, would you sign a constitutional carry bill if it gets to your desk? The video kind of like, it, it kind of moves. You hear DeSantis say, sure. I'm 90% sure he was responding to the question. Maybe there's like a 10% chance he was talking to somebody else. I don't think the governor's office has officially said anything yet, but we do know that uh, I think it's Representative actually, Anthony. Oh, has he said something? Are you yeah, going to break some the, news here? Yes, the reload. We uh, <clears throat> I reached out to his office because, yeah, the, the video is weird. It comes from uh, the National Association of Gun Rights, which is uh, like a Ron Paul affiliated group, and they have a Florida chapter. And the, I guess the legislative director for that Florida chapter is the guy who took the video. But it does look like something where the governor seemed to think it was going to be a picture and it, was, it turned out to be a video. But DeSantis, he, he does ask him a very clear question, which is, right. will you sign a bill if constitutional carry comes to your desk? And DeSantis says, of course. And because of the somewhat odd nature of the video, and then also just to get more details on the governor's position, I reached out to the, uh, his spokesperson, uh, Christina Peshaw, who I really hope that I'm pronouncing her name right. But either way, uh, she said that they don't dispute anything in the video, which presumably means that is his actual position, but that he's we would have to wait for actual legislation, the text of a bill before he could support specific legislation, which makes sense. Uh, their legislative session starts in January. Uh, she did point out, though, that uh, the, the Senate majority leader in Florida has already publicly committed to supporting constitutional carry in some form. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if that bill came up this session. There's obviously still a lot of internal politics that are going to have to play out to see if it'll pass and make it right. to the governor's desk. But, uh, you know, that's a pretty good indication. It, it is a pretty good indication. So I think we could put Florida at the top of the list of states where this is going to be an issue next year. Um, and then I think you have to include Ohio as well. The Ohio State House has already passed constitutional carry. Uh, I don't know when the Senate is going to pick it up. But again, I mean, Ohio is one of those states with a Republican trifecta, right? They control the House, they control the Senate, they control the governorship. Uh, so this, to me, seems like uh, this is doable there in the Buckeye State. Yeah, I mean, to me, at this point, with the momentum from those five states and Texas especially, it's almost inevitable. It, it, uh, like that's not, Obviously, nothing's inevitable in politics, but there's going to be so much pressure on Republican legislators to pass this policy that it's going to be very difficult for them to, to resist that at this point with how far the movement has already gone. Uh, and you've seen all the major gun rights groups are pushing this, the NRA, GOA, um, you know, FPC, all, all these mm-hmm. guys are, are advocating for the same policy. And now you're seeing all these other states do it. Republicans are going to have a hard time saying no, I think, moving forward. And, you know, it, it, it is the realistically a Republican policy at this point. There's it's I believe Vermont is the only place that has it and has had it since its founding, of course. Right. Uh, that it isn't a Republican trifecta. There, I believe maybe Maine wasn't when they passed theirs, but there, there's very few crossover states at purple states or blue states that that will that pass this policy, but the triple red states, and there's there's a couple left: Florida, Ohio, I believe Georgia will be another mm-hmm. one. Uh, Indiana where- is Indiana is another one too, and I'm actually curious to see what happens in Indiana because there was a constitutional carry bill that was introduced this year. It did not ultimately succeed, but I, I think what the Indiana lawmakers adopted we could probably call like shall issue plus. Um, they removed all of the government fees for a lifetime carry license. So mm-hmm. you can apply for a license. You don't have to pay any money outside of the fingerprinting service, I think. Uh, but you're not paying for the background check. You're not paying for an application. And in the first 24 hours that the uh, state police website went live after this law went into effect, I think they had something. It was it was close to 15,000 people who, who you know logged on and applied for their carry license. So clearly removing that fee opened up the door for a lot of people who, you know, either could not afford to apply for a license or, you know, it, it, it or, or they just hadn't thought about it until all of a sudden they realized, okay, cool. Now I don't have to pay to exercise a constitutional right. I, I wonder if there are going to be any states, because again, I mean, as you talk about Georgia, uh, Florida, South Carolina is another state. They yep. just passed open carry with training, which basically means if you've got a concealed carry license, you can now open carry as well. And the left freaked out over that in a way that I thought was, a little over the top. I mean, because it really wasn't a major change to South Carolina law, uh, but they acted like this was constitutional carry. So if you're already going to have the outrage from the gun control activists, you might as well go and, and get what you really want, right? As opposed to, you know, trying to take these, you know, sort of baby steps. But I do wonder if we're going to see a, a couple of states maybe go the Indiana route and say, all right, well, why don't we start with uh, shall issue plus, and then you know we'll see how that goes for a couple of years, and then maybe move to constitutional carry. I wonder if there are going to be, you know, some hesitations because next year is an election year, right? And so I think there's some going to be some political calculations uh, being played here. 
uh, if it's going to benefit Republicans or if Republicans think it's going to benefit them uh, in, you know, congressional races, in gubernatorial races and control of state legislatures, I think they are going to push forward with constitutional carry. But something tells me like in South Carolina, for example, I don't know, I see some hesitancy on the part of some Republicans to go back to the well right after they had this, you know, I think overly divisive fight over open carry with training. Are they going to come back and revisit the issue right away? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, I, I certainly don't know that all these states, all these triple red states are going to immediately pass permitless carry. They might go through a couple steps beforehand, but I think you're going to see the pressure build from activists based on how other states are performing with per permitless carry. Like unless Texas has a huge uh, increase in crimes associated with uh, people who would otherwise have been prevented from carrying if they under the old law, uh, then you're going to keep seeing people say, well, okay, it's great that we, we removed the fees or we did, you know, these changes, but why not just get rid of the permit altogether? Why do we still have this when everyone, you know, when, when all these other red states don't have it. And, and so I, I don't see that alleviating pressure for very long. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting to see on the political side of things because permitless carry doesn't poll very well, right? When, if you just ask uh, in, in national polls, it doesn't perform very well. I think it's in, uh, you've seen some that have it in, in single digit approval, but, but it's obviously one of those things where there's a, uh, another big disconnect between public polling and what voters and activists want, where like people might not, like the general idea in the same way that people like the general idea of universal background checks. But when it comes down to voting on them, you're going to have more people in perhaps voting against universal background checks or voting for permitless carry, uh, you know, a, a single issue voter type person, somebody who's mm -hmm. very motivated by the issue, then you're going to have the other way around. And it seems to be that's the calculation uh, Republicans are making in most of these states. And it's interesting to see it carry over now into more purple states with Pennsylvania, their legislature passing constitutional carry or permitless carry, even though the governor just vetoed it. I think it's going to become a significant issue, at least for gun rights activists, maybe not the general voting public, but gun rights activists in that state in this election that's coming. I mean, they passed this right before the gubernatorial election that's coming mm -hmm. up next year. So clearly uh, the legislature there, the Republicans do think that it's a winning issue or they probably would not have put this through. I, I think that's I think that's right. Um, you know, again, we'll see what happens statewide in Pennsylvania. But I think that this is, as you say, this is popular among gun owners. It is popular. And frankly, I wonder if it's not actually going to become more popular among a, a segment of the left uh, in the months ahead. Because you look at, for instance, in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case, we've got mm -hmm. these public defenders uh, out of New York who are arguing that, you know, these types of May issue laws are putting people in prison. Uh, they're violent felons now under New York law simply for possessing a firearm without a license. Right. That's the reality of licensing laws, right? If you don't have a license and you're caught with a gun, even if you're not legally ineligible to own one, but you just don't have the license. Mm -hmm. It's a criminal offense. And so and, and yeah. it falls disproportionately on young African-American men in, in a lot of these cases. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, which is something obviously that resonates with many people on the left as far as, uh, you know, 
the speaking about criminal justice reform, this is the same sort of concept, the same principle that's involved with wanting to reform a lot of other laws also plays here with these permitting laws. Because again, yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, it, it's you generally, uh, it's just a possession crime. There, there's no, uh, oftentimes there can be no other crime associated with this person having a gun. They haven't proved that they're a gang member or that they've committed some crime with the gun. They just have the gun. And, and that's another reason, yeah, that goes beyond just may issue permits to all permitting for, for gun carry. Why is it necessary would be obviously the, the activists question here like what why are these permits right. necessary do they actually reduce crime or are we locking up people just on the basis of them possessing a gun when they haven't there's no evidence they've done anything wrong with it exactly you know do they prevent crime as you say or do they actually create a crime because they certainly create a criminal offense right and you know you look at new york and the numbers uh, under the safe act the, the prosecutions for illegal gun possession Vast majority of these prosecutions take place in New York City. Vast majority of the defendants, as you say, are young black and brown men uh, who are disproportionately sentenced to prison for the violent felony of of carrying a gun without a license. So I think once the Bruin decision comes down, we are going to see more voices. I don't think it's got to be majority of the left, but I think you're going to see more voices on the left start to speak up and say, okay, we, we not that I'm even a gun owner, not that I'm a Second Amendment fan, but... Uh, you know, we need to make sure that these laws actually, you know, do apply equally. And if that means that we've got to ensure that that everybody has access to the right to bear arms. So we're not putting a disproportionate number of, you know, young black and brown men in prison. OK, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. I think we're going to find some people on the left adopt that position. I don't think they're going to become outspoken Second Amendment supporters. Uh, right. I don't think they're going to become, you know, fans of gun ownership. But I think it's going to be more of an argument of criminal justice reform coming from the left as opposed to an acknowledgement of a civil right, that argument that you hear more, I think, uh, uh, from the right. But yeah. let me, so let's flip this around here while we've got just a minute. So if we're looking at, you know, Florida, Ohio, Indiana, I think would pro- maybe Georgia would probably be like my first four states that I'd say, okay, look for constitutional carry. Do you think, are Democrats in Vermont, for instance, would they try to impose a, a may issue law or even a shall issue system, but a licensing system in the state of Vermont. Do you think there'll be any state controlled by Democrats that will try to move from a shall issue to a may issue system before the Supreme Court issues this decision? We've never had a state do that. I mean, I the, the, so. the, the right to carry revolution has progressed in one direction only. Yeah. But I'm curious if, if you know, there are any states out there, California's, well, California's already may issue, so never mind. Maybe that's it. Maybe the states that are crazy enough to do it are the ones that already have may issued laws still on the books. Yeah. I mean, I just think that you're not, I mean, obviously sometimes legislators will pick a fight with the courts on purpose to make a political point. You see that a Mm -hmm. lot with gun laws, although usually you see that at like the city level, like a city will pass an ordinance they know is not legal under state law, but they do it with the intention of challenging that state law. I think you're, you see that less often at the state level, not that it never happens. Obviously, California, New York, D.C. are always trying to push the boundaries of what they can do in terms of restricting uh, access to firearms. Massachusetts would be another example. But I don't know that, they, that there's a lot of appetite out there. I, I haven't seen anything, at least, as far as like you, they know that a Supreme Court ruling is going to go against them 
So they make their, they change their laws to be in, in violation of what they expect the ruling to be mm -hmm. uh, just because that, I mean, what, for one, the place like Vermont has a, has a strong gun pro gun culture there. Obviously that's why they have, that's why they call it Vermont carries the other nickname for permitless carry, right? Because mm -hmm. they've had it since the beginning of their state since they were created. And so there's, there's definitely a, a strong uh, tradition uh, that backs up that law that I don't see changing necessarily just because of the national politics around guns in the Democratic Party right now. I mean, you saw Bernie had to adapt his personal views on or his political views on guns when he ran for the Democratic nomination, because in Vermont, as the senator from Vermont, even though he's a socialist and so forth, uh, he's too liberal for to be a Democrat, I guess, or too far left to be a Democrat, even for him, he was relatively pro-gun until he ran in the national uh, stage. So, uh, you know, to a certain degree, all politics are like, it's very similar to Florida, actually, like Florida is now considering or eliminating their permitting process for concealed carry, right? But at the same time, they just passed a restriction on an age restriction on owning most guns, honestly. Mm -hmm. And they have a waiting period to buy handguns, which is not something that you associate, even though Florida is the gunshine state, right? That's, right? Those are not policies that you would associate with a very pro-gun state, but they have yeah. it because it's a, it's a local politics thing. They had Parkland happen. So they passed a red flag will and they passed this restriction law. You know, these things, it, it's, Texas was the same way until very recently where they had a lot of uh, fairly restrictive gun laws on the books, even as they had this reputation for being an extremely pro-gun state. So think, you know, at the local level, the state level, things get a little weird. And I, I don't know that you're going to see, uh, what I think you'll see instead is once the laws get struck down, just like you were, you were talking about Indiana eliminating their fees and mm -hmm. how that helped uh, increase the number of permits that were issued. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. When when they get their May issue laws struck down, which seems very likely at this point, most states are going to do what DC did and make the system to get a permit as difficult as possible with it being shell issues. So they'll put a big fee on it mm -hmm. to apply. They'll make the, the, the class be a unique class to that state. So only people certified in that state can teach the class, which makes it much more expensive. And they'll do, that's what they'll do. They'll put up a bunch of hurdles uh, to try and reduce the number of people getting, because the, at the end of the day, they, the goal, they really don't believe that people should be carrying guns on their person unless they have some sort of, this, unless they're police officers effectively or uh, something, something along those lines. So they're going to do everything they can within the law to accomplish that. Yep. I think, no, listen, I think you're spot on about that. And, and that'll be an interesting uh I, 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 we're going to have to do an interesting follow-up like a year from now uh, and just you revisit some of these predictions, see how many of the states have adopted constitutional carry, how many of the may issue states have become reluctant shall issue states, but are still trying to price people out of a right or impose, you know, these ridiculous training standards so that uh, you're still keeping the average citizen away from the right to keep and bear arms. I, I think you're spot on though, in terms of the, the reaction. Uh, it, I think it's, it's fanciful as much as I'd like to see it. I think it's absolutely fanciful to, to think that states like California and New York and New Jersey uh, and Maryland are just going to say, Oh, okay. All right. We'll be shall issue now. And, and you know, adopt a, a sort of, you know, Virginia law. If the court right. strikes down New York's law. To be fair though, people in those states, because 
if then obviously we're speculating here, but it seems fairly likely the Supreme Court's going to strike down New York's law and all may issue laws for concealed carry permits. But even when they put these hurdles in place, there's still going to be lower hurdles than the previous standard, which was basically complete discretion to government officials. And so you're mm-hmm. still going to see more people be able to get a permit, uh, just like you saw in D.C. It's not uh, permitting hasn't it's certainly not to the level that you might expect it to be given the population and the violence levels that, that we see in the city, but it, it's far more than it was because it was zero. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so, no, I mean, look, you know, 10 years ago, uh, Illinois had, had banned all carry uh, open or concealed uh, as of, I think last year, there were at least 30,000 concealed carry holders in Cook County, Illinois, which is, you know, tremendous progress. Uh, Much to the chagrin of the uh, anti-gun activists in Illinois. Hey, uh, listen, Stephen, unfortunately, we are almost out of time here. But um, obviously, if folks want to get more information uh, from you, the Reload is the place to do it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, thereload.com. We also have the Weekly Reload podcast, which I host with my contributing writer, Jake Fogelman, every week. It's on all the podcasting apps and uh, on YouTube as well, our YouTube channel. So just search for the Reload and you'll be able to find it. Fantastic. Listen, Stephen, really appreciate your time as always. It's good seeing you, sir. And uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up in person here before long. Yeah, let's go shooting. It's been a while. It, is, it really has been a while. It's been a while since I've just simply gone shooting. I went plinking, I, know. I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, maybe. Me too, a little man. 22, but uh, I, I just bought a, 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 a new ghost gun, a Sears made ghost gun from the 1960s. And I, I have to go shoot it. It's a semi auto Oh, nice. Shotgun. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll make plans here. Uh, I want to take a couple of days off around the holidays, so we'll see what uh, what your schedule's like. Stephen Gataski, The Reload. Good talking with you as always, man. Thanks. Much appreciation to Mr. Stephen Gataski for joining us on the program. Uh, Now, listen, normally, you know, we do the recidivist report. We do the good deed of the day. We do an armed citizen story. Conversation with Stephen went just a little bit longer than I was anticipating. So um, we're going to just stick with an armed citizen story today. We'll get back to the full panoply of uh, other stories on uh, Monday's Cam and Company. But let, let's start, or, well, let's finish off today's program uh, with a look at this defensive gun use from Destrahan, Louisiana, uh, where a road rage incident uh, ended in a self-defense shooting, according to authorities. Uh, a man who was shot last month by an angry motorist who had followed him home after he allegedly fled the scene of a fender bender has now been arrested, according to authorities, on charges of battery and DUI after authorities identified him as the aggressor in the confrontation. 51-year-old Michael Wolf turned himself in uh, in Louisiana on Tuesday after detectives with the St. Charles Parish Sheriff's Office got a warrant for his arrest. Uh, He was booked on second-degree battery, aggravated burglary, DUI, reckless operation of a vehicle involving an accident, uh, according to the sheriff, Wolf had a blood alcohol level of uh, 0.2%, actually more than 0.2%, well over the 0.08 legal limit. Now, as for the man who shot Wolf, he's been identified as a 78-year-old man, uh, not facing arrest, acted in self-defense, uh, so we won't be naming him here in this story. Uh, but the sheriff's office said after an extensive and thorough investigation, including securing video footage of the events, it was determined that Wolf was the aggressor and provoked the 78-year-old to respond in self-defense. This is back on November 16th. According to authorities, Wolf was driving his black pickup truck when authorities say he hit the 78-year-old man's Mercedes. 
Uh, Wolf then continued driving to his home. The 78-year-old who had his wife in the car followed Wolf. They called 911. And then shortly after Wolf parked in his driveway, a neighbor who was working in his yard said he saw the Mercedes pull in behind the truck. The neighbor said he saw two guys get out of their vehicles, begin arguing. Uh, the uh, older gentleman accuses Wolf of swiping his vehicle. Sheriff's office says that the, quote, obviously irate Wolf then approached the 78-year-old's vehicle in an aggressive manner. Uh, the sheriff's office said an altercation followed, and subsequently the 78-year-old man shot Wolf in the abdominal area in self-defense. The neighbor, by the way, had rushed over when he said he overheard the uh, 78-year-old mention being armed and threatening to shoot. Neighbor got in between the two men to try to break up the fight. The neighbor said shortly after the shooting, he just pointed the gun at his stomach and then shot him. The uh, 78-year-old then got back inside his car, locked his vehicle. Uh, meanwhile, Wolf gets off the ground, begins banging on the 78-year-old man's car window, retrieved a crescent wrench from his garage, smashed the car window, opened the 78-year-old man's door, and then began hitting the 78-year-old man in the face, breaking his nose. That's when the 78-year-old man fired three more shots, with one of these shots again hitting Wolf in the abdomen. He was airlifted to a hospital where he underwent surgery. He was eventually released. The 78-year-old was treated at the scene for his injuries. Uh, this is a, uh, again, this is a, a an odd situation here. But the 78-year-old, sounds to me like, wasn't trying to instigate any sort of violent act. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, do you remember that case out of Florida where we had a, a woman in her 30s? She was a librarian, and apparently she also was the instigator of a hit and run. And then she drove off, and the motorcyclist who she hit followed, along with several other individuals. They followed her to her home. They're on the phone with police at the time. Uh, they didn't try to, you know, take any action themselves, but they were they wanted to know where she lived. They wanted officers to 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 arrive there. It sounds like the, that was very similar to what happened with the 78-year-old in Louisiana. And then they get there, and all of a sudden, the well, here's the difference between these two cases. The 78-year-old gets out of his car and says, hey, you sideswiped my car. Uh, and the uh, other gentleman gets out, and then they get into the, the, the uh, confrontation there. In Florida, the case was, I believe, the individuals had pulled up. They were on the public roadway, and the woman came outside of her house with a gun, pointed the gun at the motorcyclist, who then drew his own firearm and shot in self-defense. But again, in, in neither case were the people who authorities say were acting in self-defense ever the initial aggressors in this case. In fact, both of them were on the phone with law enforcement or had contact in 911 before they were forced to act in self-defense. Um, simply following somebody, once they've committed a crime, in this case, the crime of hit and run, that's not a crime itself. It's not like you're stalking them, right? You, you, you're simply, and it's not like you're trying to make a citizen's arrest, as we saw you know, in Georgia. You're simply following, you're on the phone with law enforcement, okay, here's where they are, here's where they're pulling in, here's the address, please come. That's not a crime, nor does that make you the aggressor. Uh, so that's, again, the situation there in uh, Louisiana where a 78-year-old who shot a man in his driveway was the one acting in self-defense, according to authorities uh, there in uh, Destrehan, Louisiana. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company. want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. We'll be back on Monday. So enjoy your weekend, because we probably won't have a chance to talk until then. But we will be updating BarryAndArms.com throughout Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. So make sure you visit the website. Check us out on Facebook as well. And uh, don't forget, you can always become a VIP subscriber to BarryAndArms.com. Just go to, shockingly enough, BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You'll get a significant discount, and we thank you very much 
for your support. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.